I'm Carrie Benedet, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalize you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me I'm an education consultant specializing in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Matters podcast. And our guest today is the beautiful Elizabeth Williamson, and it's just a joy. Liz, what's the day like in Adelaide today? Well, it has its alternating between overcast and then little flashes of sunlight. So we're having um, a very mild August. You know, <laughs> this time of year is usually freezing, but um, it's it's quite mild, and um, I can just see spring sitting behind almost every yeah. plant, ready to do something. So it's quite it's quite nice. <laughs> It's quite lovely, isn't it? We've got a yeah. new moon. We've got a new moon happening. We've got spring on our doorstep, um, and this is in Australia, though, because we're speaking to people all around the world. So wherever you are, we hope that you're enjoying your season. <laughs> well, I guess everybody's on the cusp of change, aren't they? Between August and September, we're going to roll into Ooh. yeah. So we're, if we're doing this now in sort of mid mid August, we're all getting ready for whatever the next round of, of seasonal change is. Yes. And Elizabeth, you know, I think that's a beautiful lead-in. And listeners, I didn't prime Elizabeth to say that we're on the cusp of change. But why we're talking today is because Elizabeth has an amazing personal story as well as professional story. And the work she does is very close to her heart, her soul, and her beautiful mind that she's been able to manage, develop, and apply. And so, Liz, I'm going to ask you to tell a little bit about who you are, where you're from, um, a little bit about those spots and stripes that are, that are just you, Elizabeth Williamson. Off you go. <laughs> okay. So um, I'm now in. I'm now what I call in my mid-century modern age, which is I'm in my mid-60s. So all the furniture that's now out there, business value and terribly fashionable, is what I grew up with. Um, <laughs> And I, I also think that this time is a time of learning, an apprentice eldership. You know, I'm still learning, but I think it's 71 steps into another realm. So I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet, I've got a few years to go, but I'm an apprentice elder. And it's an interesting way to look at, you know, your life experience and, and, and your future goals. Um, my background's in social work. I grew up in the, you know, in the 60s um, in a very bland environment. In new housing developments without much culture around us, and I was um, felt starved by that. And it, you know, in an era when women didn't have a, the same choices they have now, um, I chose. Well, someone said, "Oh, you're nice to talk to. Why don't you do social work?" <laughs> what I love about that that profession that I sort of landed in is that it's a very systems based thinking model. So social work it, it, it grew out of. Um, Almoners going, you know, not the women who went to hospitals with no gifts. But it means that you have to look at all of the reasons why there's inequality in our yeah. world. 
And that's really the basis of the profession. And then what, what is possible around change? So it has, you know, learning had about this very proactive possibility about change culturally, systemically, culturally, mm. you know, um, and that's the sort of path I followed, um, working in community development and uh, eventually becoming doing some advising for the Department of Veteran Affairs with veterans around community projects at some stage. And then I just realised that there was something that I thought I would never do, but I found this little space and then it was actually therapy. So when I um, was very depressed after the birth of my second child, um, and our relationship was not going well and you know that that challenging time when you realize you're about to become a single parent and your whole world's going to change I also found that that was my when I participating was fantastic but because of my background you know I, I became a therapist so I had this sort of you know social world and then I moved into this very interpersonal world a very private world of, of yeah. learning therapy and providing therapy which I've been doing for well, since the uh, since the nineties, yeah. so um, it's a, it's a wonderful place to be. But what that took me into, I thought there'd be all that growth and change, and uh, the, what what it took me into was just learning that conflict lives everywhere. <laughs> Relationships and conflict drive our lives. So when I was working in the community, or when I was working with organisations in development, it was arguments with committees or arguments with government or. You know, when I started working with people individually in therapy, it was the arguments they were having with themselves, that internal negative voice that drives you, you know, experiences from childhood conflict. Um, and um, and then I stepped into couples therapy because I think that working with families is the way we change the past and create a, a whole new future. It's a different system again. Ah. Because, you know, what happens in families creates our next generation and then we also see mm -hmm. so much from the past that's right so that was my next step and from there I just went I am surrounded by conflict <laughs> how can I share and teach this <laughs> so I sort of think I've sat at the, the feet of some masters of um, research oh. and practice the Gottman uh, method did you just oh my I gosh did. I did yeah I've got to chain with John and Julie Gottman over three years oh. here in Australia that's a privilege um, and I've I've looked at a lot of a lot of other researchers, um, and I've sort of taken all of that to create a very simple model called that I call conflict confidence, so that I okay. can talk to people about the skills you need to manage relationships and diffuse difficult situations, but also deal with people who are conflict driven. People who want who solve problems with conflict. With conflict, yeah. yeah. And this this is such a massive area, um, mm. which I think a lot of us probably don't understand the impact of it as a as a continual way of being, mm. always always in conflict, and then what it does for our well being, how it affects um, our strategies, the way that we manage, mm. um, and basically our self awareness. Uh, it, we mm. we can actually get tunnel it. Funnel it right down, I think. You have a fascinating story. Um, I, I, I want to, what you've just done for me is a, a memory I have. Um, one of the first roles I had um, after I had 10 years at home with our four children was to go in, in a parent educator role for a large system of schools here in Sydney. Um, I teach a train, so I was attractive 
um, in the interview process because I understood the education community and the roles and where parents actually fit or fitted and um, what view there was on parent engagement. And oh, uh, it's a big so, issue with teachers, isn't it? <laughs> huge, huge issue. And yeah. um, one of the, I've still got the book and I, and I dip into it every now and then because it's one of, it's by the Gottmans and it's emotionally intelligent parenting that they brought out. It was absolutely yeah. sensational because there were so many practical strategies in there that I was able to use. And I had people would come up to me at different schools at the parents and they'd say, Harry, I still use that that chair, that chair, that the chair to sit in, or the, you know, the, this or that. So it was just amazing. But I have the utmost respect for you because you've actually worked with um, the Gottmans and their yeah. huge plethora of research and application that they've done. And which is still ongoing, Harry. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's still ongoing, John. I don't know how old he is. Um, yeah. But uh, it's globally based research. Um, yeah. And they're looking at you know the effectiveness of, of what is effective in couples therapy. What are, what do you need to get long term results? Um, you know what are the strategies around engagement? Like on and on and on and on it goes. They're, they're just remarkable researchers and and using it using an evidence based approach, which I think is critical. I've been you know delivering therapy and has been a participant in therapy <laughs> uh, since the nineties and. Um, it's a fashion that things come and go and there are things that I learned early I would not do now because they don't have any evidence behind them, but they were the practice at the time. That's right. So uh, it's fantastic to have the work we've got now around, uh, you know, neurobiology, around uh, uh, communication skills, around, you know, evidence around what works well when you're dealing with um, sensitive and emotional topics and how you manage yourself and other people. Uh, so that you can stop things escalating. Um, and let's face it, our life is lived in conflict because conflict sits in every story we tell. And it's, only, and it's what makes the story interesting. If you yeah. think about even comedies, you know, you've got someone who's like a Mr Bean who's constantly in conflict <laughs> with something and we laugh and we laugh and we laugh. Um and you know, good comedians make us uncomfortable about something that's a bit awkward. You know, that, yep. I mean, a great comedian just will do a whole thing about his frust- his or her frustration with a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, and it's a you know, whole routine uh, or something like that. So it really is the driver. We just be really careful about how we construct the story because you know, if the story is about being a victim, mm-hmm. and that's where you put yourself, and that somebody else is the the persecutor or the 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 danger and there has to be some external solution a rescue which is the classic story is it not yes yes um conflicts happen when we compete for the place of victim most people are going no my pain's more important than yours no my hurt's more important than yours and that keeps us stuck yeah Yeah, so we have to have some some new ways of telling stories and some new ways of looking at it getting out of our own story to look at what the other person's perspective is because mm. that's when you gain influence. Mm. And when you're influential in, in, in a dispute, in a negotiation, in a conflict, in, a, in helping, trying to understand someone, it comes from actually active, not beyond actively listening, intentionally listening to understand their perspective, to demonstrate to them that you understand it, to tangibly demonstrate it. 
and then to validate, I get it. I get why you would see it this way without any reference to your own perspective. That is so influential and that creates so much ability to um, reduce conflict, to, to, to gain what you want, you know, but to create more understanding. It's, it's, it's a very tough skill. It's not easy to do. <laughs> Well, but look, it's a, we, one of the foundational Gottman skills. That's so true. The you made you've just made me think, um, Elizabeth, around you know relationships. How do you how, how do you actually uh, develop your relationships? You know, we go into them in a lot of cases with um, uh, trust, uh, the notion of trust, or the notion of romance, or love, or care for each other. Um, but in, in a lot of families, um, we're not actually taught how to discuss or argue mm -hmm. well or, or make sure you are able to say things that are around the behaviour, not necessarily pointed at the, the person as such, but the, yeah. the behaviour. And we most of our, our podcast guests are what I call ordinary guys and gals who are doing extraordinary things in life and work. And that's one of the reasons I think I was attracted to uh, you coming on and being able to share some of those life skills, some of the things that perhaps we're, we're never taught that we can learn and put, it, put in place because we actually want the best relationships. Um, and every relationship will always have some conflict. Absolutely. Um, I, I just can't think of the, um, he was a, a, a biology researcher, I think, but he has a lovely quote. Uh, he just talked about, you know, we should, we should look at conflict like sex, you know, we should expect it, we should be very careful with it, we should enjoy it. <laughs> there's a lot, of, a lot of things that lead up to it. There's always a, you know, a climatic moment, but if we had the same attitude to sex as we had to conflict, we'd be handling a whole lot better, which I think is a very interesting, you know, Rephrasing. That is, that, that is inter <laughs> very interesting. And actually, now I'm thinking about it, you've probably derailed me a little bit here. I've gone off on another tangent in my head. I'm going, actually, yes, I think he's actually spot on. <laughs> well, I think I think what the thing the thing to reframe around conflict is 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 it's an intense learning experience, and we need. So I studied Buddhism for about ten or twelve years in a. Um, very interesting Buddhist community. Um, who they were, there were no priests, so they were the laity. They were the um, yeah, very yeah. different way of doing Buddhism. But it was, I learned a lot. One of the things I learned was that in this Japanese tradition, that when you had a problem and you went to someone with the problem in this community, you didn't get, oh, you got, oh, congratulations. Oh, that's a really good problem for you to have. <laughs> what, what, what value will you create from this problem? And it was such a different way of looking at it. It was very little room for, oh, poor you. You didn't, and it was very frustrating to get that, I have to tell you. Um, but it was, you know, oh, well, that's a really interesting problem. Well, congratulations. This must be your next, you know, growth opportunity. I'm not surprised, you know, because it's it's about looking through something with a different lens. Absolutely. It's, it's not going to catastrophization straight away as the mm -hmm. first stop, you know, the first, only go here that you don't go any further but in all this we we learn small steps what mm. what is it that we've experienced before is there any similarity what did i do then what do i need to do now what's the difference 
what, what have I got up my sleeve? Um, and I think that's the beauty of of even communities now. I mean, the last last four years, five years, um, a lot of our interaction has been via electronic AI or electronic device okay. uh, technology. Um, and whilst people will say it's not real, I've actually found it to be very real because this year has been the year that I've I've come to meet people that I've only been working with online. Yeah. I've met them face to face and shared time with them, looked at how else we could uh, work together, whether we're in parallel lanes or whether we're just totally different in a, in a large collective. And I think there's, and there's conflict in that as well. If you're working with a group of people without being face to face, there's a whole lot of new different skills that you have to employ at the same time. And for me, for me, they're resiliency strategies, right? Look, I think so. I think that, um, I think, you know, I think you're right. Look, that we learn uh, our concepts around conflict and emotions in our family. And if you learn in a family that uh, we don't talk about difficult things and we just get on with it, right? We don't, yeah. and it means if you step into work, you bring that style with you. So when someone wants to raise a difficult issue, it feels really uncomfortable for you to give your position if there's a difficulty. So, you know, there's a tendency to gloss over what someone else might be struggling with uh, or what's an issue in, in, a, in, a, in yeah. an agreement or in a supervisory relationship or, you know, in a startup. And um, the, Dr. Karen Gridboard has done some fascinating stuff taking the Gottman model and looking at working with startups. Because that's like a marriage when you've got a two or three people or a family system. You've got a few people standing together to build something. They have to actually envision, well, what are we doing here? And their business is their baby. Yep. So um, I, I'm really interested in her work because it, it's uh, – um, I'm having an opportunity to speak with her next week, so I'm very excited about that. Oh. Uh, but that's a really interesting process to go, how applicable is the research that's been done in about the way we learn and grow up and what it means for the rest of our working lives or our family lives or our community lives, which is where I've ended up, you know, with, with the journey I've been on. So, um, you know, I love working in organisations where I can take the model that I've developed, um, conflict confidence, and work throughout the organisation so that there's a shared language, which, you know, is based on research and practice and, and a shared yes. concept about how, how conflict is managed. Um, so that when some, and because it, because it gives um, managers who are the re, the responsible, the research would say that um, the, your relationship with your line manager impacts your mental health up to seventy percent. Oh. So, any, so when in distress, it's really work, and it's often you're taking that home. So let me get that statement a bit clearer. I think it was buffling there, but you know, so seventy percent of your mental health well-being is is. It, form through your relationship with your upline manager. Mm. If that upline manager doesn't have good support, then that's going to cascade down through an organisation to the ground. And if the leadership has no empathy and no people focus, then that will be felt throughout the yes. whole organisation and certainly you'll, you'll be experiencing it. That's right. On the ground floor. Yeah. So, and, and what we know is that narcissistic tendencies you know from the research, are very enabling for people to get to uh, pivotal leadership positions. Yes. So that's a danger. 
Yes, right. That's and and more and more research is it's coming out all the time is around this notion of uh, leading with confidence and empathy. So conf confidence Absolutely. confidence mm -hmm. is different to being an absolute bulldozer or a narcissistic um, yeah. leader yeah. or a dictatorship yeah. or whatever. Oh, fascinating, fascinating work. Now, Elizabeth, I yes. always ask everybody. You've talked. You've spoken about working with the Gottmans. Um, and Dr. Karen, um, has there been a situation or a massive change in your life that has led you to where you are today, to show up as you do today, being pa passionate, working with um, bringing together your social work, your therapy into the into this conflict, and then putting together your programs, um, and the steps. So, has anything? Had a oh yes, yeah, I do have a, I do have a bad story to that. <laughs> so about twelve years ago, um, I uh, was diagnosed with having a very a very rare type of spinal cord tumor actually inside the the, the marrow, you know, the, my spinal yeah. cord, um, and at about the third vertebrae level. So within a month of that, it pieced together some really strange. You know, years of strange symptoms that didn't make any sense. Anyway, I got to a, got to a stage of not being able to tolerate pain, and finally did something about it. And you know, I was I was a few weeks away from being a total quadriplegic. You know, the feeding with a you know breathing apparatus and all sorts of terrible things confined to a wheelchair. Luckily, that did not happen, and so I had surgery, and it was benign, so that was good. Yeah. And luckily, very very luckily, I've been able to learn to walk. So. Um, I'm a living example of neuroplasticity. <laughs> that is 12 years ago. Um, I have, and so I, uh, part of my whole being now um, is I have to think about everything I do. So sitting in the chair talking to you, I'm just having to keep remembering to turn core muscles on, use my glutes, where's my shoulders, where's my back, am I in alignment? Things that you will do automatically. It takes up a yes. lot of my thinking. But what it meant was living with a disability or living in a disability, I suppose, is a better way of describing mm -hmm. it, is that it, it's incredibly hard to have a successful career. So what I encountered post-surgery and trying to come back into the workforce was just obstacle after obstacle, no matter what, where I went, even working within yeah. uh, supposedly disability-centric organisations. And I, I just went, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. So that was a decision to go into business. Um, and that gave me some control that I, you know, I couldn't have in any other environment. And the opposite, I think it's, you know, if I just was to, I think we need to be very, very much more mindful and, and uh, proactive around how we support people yeah. who are living, you know, in different bodies and circumstances to what to our general assumption and uh, generous, but it's not there, you know, it's not there. So it wasn't there. So I left. Uh, a few years back and I've been doing this now and um yeah that's so yeah so my I have my conflicts with gravity <laughs> that's my <laughs> main conflict <laughs> and that's led me to have some some falls so I now have an artificial hip and I have um I have, I have titanium in my right arm from falling and breaking my arm so that journey along the way has been some real health challenges um I also during COVID got diagnosed with breast cancer luckily again benign um, and that along the way, that really start, has really started to think about resilience. You know, what is resilience? Yeah. 
Um, and can we have conversations that are not about bouncing back? Because I don't know anybody who bounces, you know, and well, maybe yeah. maybe the Matildas, you know, when they fall <laughs> and roll with the most amazing game, you know, that we've been watching, that we've been playing um, soccer, they certainly do have agility, but most of us have scars or dents or bumps, yep. bruises um, that I think well, we need to honour more. I think, I think that's that's one of the things. I also think we need a different language about resilience. And so I've been working on a, a sort of multidisciplinary model about okay. resilience. So we can have broader conversations and broader thinking about what it is and how, mm -hmm. again, I guess that, that that's that broader, broader thought. Well, how do I value um, what adversity has given me and not hide it anymore? Uh -huh. So do you know the Japanese uh, bowl? I'm just thinking sort of kitsunu, I think it's called. I pronounced yes. it wrong. But when the bowl the is broken, it's ended with gold. And gold. It now it's beautiful. Yep. But that is one of the concepts I think we really should, yep. you know, explore more. What does it mean? Um, rather than when, when someone has a disability, they're to one side. You know, why not having, why not? Because we all have scars. Whether it's yes. a child, or whether it's a you know a terrible boss, or whether it's a you know uh, conflict, or uh, you know, and I think we gain so much more emotional intelligence when we are prepared to share that rather than we put on a front of you know I know what I'm doing, I'm just fine. It, I've I've just made a link to the the other Japanese um, concept of um, your reason for living, you know, your reason for being, if you like, right. And I think I think that fits. I'm quite visual, so I've I've just seen the the circular model, but I've also yes. seen the I've also seen a bowl uh, that's been broken and joined with the gold, um, mm. which is and to me that that works. They actually quite they, there's a synergy between the both because you have a reason for being. Mm. You have something to offer the world. You have. You have something that you can be paid for. Mm. You have, uh, you know, when you look at the Ikigai model, um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting thing. And there's quite a lot of um, intelligence, but world uh, world view intelligence that comes mm. out of Japan and the and the blue yeah. the blue areas of the world. You know, where we're looking yeah. at. Um, how we eat, how we live, how we give to each other, we care, um, how we only eat to eighty percent of um, our, to sate our appetite. Yeah. Um, but to me, I, I like metaphor and the possibility of how we can use that. Um, yes, indeed. One, one of my one of the projects I'm working on with with my resilience program is um, taking some of the concepts with. My conflict model because it's really that you know that they are life skills, um, and finding words from different cultures that that uh, yeah. take my concepts uh, and and play with that that. Uh, so one of the things that um, I did was look at the how many words are there for the number five because five is a very important number. Five is five options tests your creative thinking. Uh -huh. And so I've got, I'm developing a series of postcards that have little. I'm glad you mentioned this. That was my next area <laughs> to move to. <laughs> so when you think about it, most of us think we, in in our culture, and it's certainly not true for a number of Indigenous cultures, but in our culture, we talk to think in binary terms: right, wrong, left, right, good, yeah. bad, uh, you know, innocent, guilty, 
um, and um, either or, you know, and it really stops you thinking because generally in, if you're in a conflict or you've got to try and work a problem out, you're either or, or you, you know, are things you don't want. Well, it's either this or it's that, and it's actually not what I want. So when we get stuck in binary thinking, we are stuck in the problem. Yep. So um, one of the things I do in coaching is getting people to the fifth element. I thought that's a, that's a film, the fifth element. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, um, you know, the next one is generally a comp. So when I'm coaching people, generally the third option is something they will compromise on, but but it's they've given away too much. The first two things I don't want. The third thing is a comp. Oh, look, I'd settle for. And it's and I look at them and go, you'd settle for that? Really? The fourth thing is closer to what they will really, really want. Right? Okay. And the fifth one is really hard work to imagine a new thought, a new way of doing something, something they haven't been rehearsing. Yeah. And so I think that, um, you know, I think thinking skills and just push it. No one wants to think new thoughts. We all like the thoughts we had yesterday or some of them anyway. You know, it's not often we get new thoughts, but conflict requires you to have a new perspective every time. Well, we like to be comfortable. We like to know <laughs> that what we're thinking is pretty well normal or on yeah. the money. And when we get something that happens that really turns that upside down, it's it's hard to move into that. It's scary. The fear, the fear starts coming. You you stump your your body will give over plenty of indication that you're not comfortable in this. That's right. How, how do you lean in and and go for it? How do you risk it? Five. I I actually love this concept of five because we've got a magnificent hand. We've both got. We both got our own hands, and you have a beautiful and you have a beautiful model of five in your magazine that I've been reading. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Thanks for the plug, um, <laughs> listeners. I didn't pay her for that either, um, <laughs> but I'm just thinking five, and then you can reverse the five and go five, four, three, two, one. Just do it. Go, just mm. so you mm. can use this notion of something that we are born with, we've been gifted with, we're totally magnificent, a unique handprint. That's right. Which doesn't have to be the same as everybody else. And yeah. how we react, how we respond um, to different situations, it's still a choice. But we need to have some things behind us, some curiosity, some practice, some application behind us to change yeah. the behaviour. How am I going? I think, yes, <laughs> that's right. So, so in, in, that, in my conflict confidence model, what I've tried to do is outline the six steps that you that you, you know, six concepts that you need to keep in mind to yeah. be effective, and then the six core skills that sit underneath that. So the first one is that you you really got to be able to see different stories because right. we get very attached to our own story, and we will use that as a truth. But in any conflict, there right. are multiple store, conflicting stories. And as I said before about listening, if you can see someone else's perspective, you don't have to agree, but if you understand it, then you've got so much more information to work with and, and you can test, am I correct on that? You can find evidence to test on that. So, yep. you know, the, the first thing we really need to do is to um, be able to see the different stories. And the second thing we need to be able to do is to um, manage our emotions to stay calm. So... Uh, Part of that is me keeping our energy concise. 
yep. uh, because you don't want to get caught in someone else's emotional storm and you don't want to create one yourself. And we need to practice managing defensiveness is when we put a lot of energy into a situation and yep. it will never be read accurately. So it will always right. be seen as an attack. I like that. Practice the defensiveness, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and you know, then we've, we've got to really, um, so, you know, from, from that uh, storytelling to calmness to conciseness, then we've got to actually work out what we really want to communicate, mm. be very clear about it, because most people go into a conflict uh, knowing what they don't want. And I, because of that story of five, you know, I was struggle with, well, so what do you really want? What do you really want? <laughs> and for, you know, I think the genders have it differently in, in our struggle to, to, to verbalise yeah. that clear about it for women we've been taught not to ask for what we want we've been taught to ask permission that yep. may we ask right and then we because we've been taught permission and i'm hoping that's changing generationally now but it certainly was in my life experience yep. we tend to then leave with what we don't want because when no one taught us to say it's okay to ask what you want so being mindful of that is really helpful and and teaching yes. i love teaching service i, I think it's a, it's a skill that is um <laughs> misunderstood um and and not valued enough and for men men have been taught that they not they should know what they want it should be self-evident and it should be something very simple you know it should be you know just it's and 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 that's a framework that doesn't work either because often men lack emotional um Articulate, articulate, yeah, yeah, they, they, you know, they, and they don't, and they also don't have the physical awareness of what, like you were saying, in our bodies of what's happening because mm. emotions are physiological experiences. So they've been taught to rely on women to support their emotional well being, despite the fact that all of the myth about being male is being independent and unemotional. And oh. the myth we grew up with, of course, right. is that we are dependent. And highly emotional and irrational. And what we find in our life, of course, is nobody looks after us. We're looking after everybody else. And we're required to make really complex, strategic, rational decisions all the time, but they're not valued in our society because they're about family, organisation, structure and minute. Yeah. So we, we have these two myths that don't align with our experience. And, of course, that's conflict. That's from brilliant research that was done or brilliant writing that's done in the very early 70s by the early, one of the early feminist uh, psychologists. Who, she worked with um, Princess Diana, and I've forgotten her name just at the moment. Oh, yes. It's a yes. really good construct going, really, we're both, we're all struggling. And so we're more empathic to the fact that we've got a myth that doesn't align with our experience, and that's that, that's a problem. <laughs> um, we could be much more generous in how we help each other solve problems. And that's what I, that's what I really think. It, uh, where we're moving in the last number couple of years, we're moving to being more generous with each other, looking at how we can be generous with ourselves in our life and work balance or the way we want to live our life, but also with each other. Um, and in the world of working for yourself, uh, we actually do a whole lot of um, working together. What what it, what it is that we can offer each other. Um, and working together in a, in a similar lane um, isn't seen as competition. It's seen as collaboration. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a super interesting area because that notion of resilience being like a bungee jump and being basically bouncing back, I think we're really uh, testing that notion of, of what it is or how we're very good at labelling 
we're a very high-labeled society. Yeah, and I think you know, there's very interesting research around resilience, you know, around the microbiology of it, around the physiology of it. Um, but I think some of it, you know, some of it came from a corporate business model. We want our workers, you know, to just yeah. to we want we don't want too many problems. We want people resilient, so we don't have to deal with problems. And I think that's the opposite of what resilience is. Resilience is, you know, if you think of from a, an egg, it's a, the the concepts of resilience come from understanding how metals work understanding what ecology is that they're there when you look at resilience where the initial idea it didn't come from studying human beings it came from looking at ecosystems and yeah. you know does a metal stretch bend or break uh so when you start to look at the broader concepts of resilience you can you can see think that much more detail about the skills that you need so if you look at metallurgy, we have uh, things that, um, you know, metals that will stretch under pressure, yeah, metals that bend under pressure, and metals that uh, you can roll out. I've forgotten words for those. I'm sorry. Mal They're my, malleable. My favorite malleable. Malleable, duct malleable, ductile, and whatever the third one is. Yeah. Conductive, probably. Anyway. Maybe conductive. Yeah. 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 Um, and so that's a really interesting. So do I need to stretch here? Do I need to bend here? Or do I need to be, a, you know, do we have to be, you know, yeah. wide, yeah. Um, and 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 what form does that take? And then you know, how to manage all those stress, manage all those stresses. When you so that's one of the concepts I've been playing with, just to bring that language in. When you look at ecosystems, then you start to look at this, those social relationships because sometimes in a in a in environment, business yeah. environment, we're in a conflict. There's a pivotal person, and it's this sort of that that pivotal. Um, uh, species that if you take them out of the ecosystem, everything falls apart. Now they yep. may not be highly valued. It might be quite a, it might be quite missed. But if you're not looking for that in in looking at the system, what's going on, you'll miss something really important. Yeah. Um, and there are there's a there's an ebb and flow, like a you know a resilient uh, ecosystem changes. Oh. Deals with deals with seasons, deals with threats and, and challenges, and so it's not static. And so if you start to bring that concept of resilience in, um, then, you know, you can help organisations and individuals, you know, chart courses of change and anticipate problems. Um, you know, and sometimes I go to a positive psychology lecture and I'm told resilience is having a cold shower in the morning. I'm like, That's not resilience. <laughs> resilience. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listeners, I'm, I'm, I just was highly amused. You can hear hear that in my laugh. But um, I love, I talk about um, an ecosystem as well. Uh, I mm -hmm. work in education a lot and mm -hmm. it's the ecosystem. So what, where I just went then was um, I had an image of under the ocean, the ocean, depths mm -hmm. of the ocean, something mm -hmm. changes. So there's, there's an adaptability. That's right. Um, there's a natural selection. There's yes. adaptability. There's time that it takes for something to be renewed or to mutate or, or to evolve. Um, so that's where my my head just went. And listeners, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking you've probably got an idea of the types of ecosystem that you want to live in now, work and live in now, that is quite different to how we've done it previous decades. Yeah, yeah. I think I think leaders who can who can yep. think reflectively and um and entertain different concepts um yeah. and are supported obviously by people who can you know yeah. as a leader you've got you've got who you are but i think if we can think collaboratively which is obviously yes. 
my bench, you can hear. Um, we can bring people around us. We've got all the skills yeah. that we need um, and and be quite transparent about that. Yeah. Um, and I think that creates fan- that creates oh. an ethos in an organisation or in a business that is uh, not just a set of values on the wall but a lived experience. Yeah. I've got a lovely story about that that you probably, I'd love to share with you. So, you know, I've never gone into a business that I've worked with and gone, you know, there's honesty, integrity, you know, I've gone, oh, today I'm going to have more integrity. I've just read all <laughs> Or today I'm going to be more honest. Or today I'm going to be more customer-centric. You know, that they're, they're important, but they're, they have, they've lost meaning, I think. But they're good to have, you know. I don't have, you ever seen a business guys? Never seen a bank that goes, and we don't have a lot of integrity around, um, you know, our financial advice. When you know, some a royal commission comes along, and goes, actually, you didn't have a lot of integrity around your financial yes, advice. That's right. <laughs> so you know, they, they don't have a lot of meaning. But some years ago, I got asked to interview uh, uh, the, the a woman who runs a aged care home here for the Dutch community, uh-huh. and fascinating. Now, I can, again, I can't remember the word and how to pronounce it, but that whole. Um, Aged care village is run on the basis of a word called Versteck. Okay. Anyone who can speak Dutch, please correct my pronunciation. (laughs) Um, But what it means is to greet a stranger like they're an old friend, invite them in for coffee and sit down and have a chat. Yes. So that word encapsulates a whole concept. So So they run the entire village on that ethos. People are employed because they can provide that to the, to the residents, which means that if I'm the gardener and I see a resident who's perhaps a little bit upset or, you know, struggling, I stop gardening and I go and say, oh, you know, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Telfer, how are you? What's happening? And, um, but, you know, so I was tell the story of the, you know, the gardener who stopped and this woman was very upset and she said, oh, I've just heard that, you know, one of my friends has died. And he, uh, the guard said, oh, that's, you know, that's really sad. Shall we sit for a moment? So they sat for a moment. And he said, what would you like to do? Would you like to go back to your room? Go help you. Now, that's a very different way of employing your gardener. <laughs> it is. What it means for that village is they have an incredible um, energy and integration of what they're doing. And it really is a lovely, it, you can see it. There's some amazing videos during COVID about, how they were managing with the residents oh, wow. cards that they've made on the video and staff, you know, yeah. we could just see this ethos. And when I think you can describe uh, an ethos for your business or your practice, yeah. sometimes your family, I think it helps everybody get real clarity. What are we really communicating? Well, it's care. It's it's care, mm-hmm. a care ethos. And I think that's where we're moving to. That's why I think we've got so many people we talk about the great resignation over the last few years. Mm. I'd actually like to change that and challenge people on the great recontemplation. Oh, that's an interesting way looking at it. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. and yeah. and because we've had time to think, to value, mm. to think about what we value, mm. to think about how to simplify, um, and if it's caused conflict. Well, it was probably a good thing. It was a new way of thinking, a new situation, and there was plenty of conflict that came out of that, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. around relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, oh, what, who we, we relied on, who was struggling, or who was there for us, yeah. uh, or you know, who, who wasn't. Um, 
you know, what what organisations were generous with the way they supported their staff, which ones yep. were not, yep. how they yep. treated their customers, you know, uh, and then mm. and then post post COVID, um, how are they coming back into a market or back yes. into an environment, back to work? work. You know, where is the flexibility that, that, that people found was very useful? Mm. Um, but you know, we we don't also want that isolation that people are cut off from their colleagues. So well, it's and, really interesting research on that done by um, uh, Asset Land and some of those places. Your regular, yes. a regular survey of that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, and look at the moment. There's um, plenty of pressure for getting people back into the office space, mm. um, not necessarily working from home. So it's watch this space. We're living in That's history. Right. We're li we're That's living right. in history and working in history really. Yeah. Elizabeth, I've had the most fascinating conversation this afternoon. So I hope oh, our listeners. Me too, Carrie. What a delight it's been. <laughs> so, <laughs> listeners, if you would really like to know more about Elizabeth Williamson, you can find her on LinkedIn. Indeed. And, and where else? Uh, my website is Elizabeth Williamson Solutions. It's a very long name, but that <laughs> Z is Williamson, S on the end of Solutions, Elizabeth Williamson's solutions.com okay um, i'm also on facebook and on uh, instagram and i don't do much on x so <laughs> but i uh, and, and look you can email me uh, it's ew at elizabethwilliamsonsolutions.com yep. uh, and i i love when people reach out um and i always offer you know whether it's a personal family or a business situation you know, that free consultation, you can actually book that online on my website. And yeah. uh, just to just to say, look, you know, am I the right person for conversation with or what where might I go next with this? You know. So um yeah. Well done. Well done. And listeners what a beautiful gift. A free consultation. Pop on to Elizabeth's website. You know that I'll put those all in the show notes. So don't feel like you've got to write them down now if you if you want to. Go I'll mention one thing, if I may. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. if I may, I'm just talking. I'm talking. My apologies. Um, um, I also have a, a download that people might like to look at, which is called "Dealing with Difficult and Demanding People." It's a promotion that's going to be going soon. So, depending on when you're listening to this, okay. but it's a it, you'll be able to find an access to it differently on my website in a little, little while. But anyway, it's an ebook about how to manage people who are conflict driven. Oh, great. In solving problems. So people are high conflict. Yeah. Uh, and so I've got a, an ebook now you can download, and um, I'm going to be extending that shortly into a longer version, but there'll still be a link to it. So for the moment, it's a free Fabulous. Well done, you. Oh, so listeners, if you know anyone that would enjoy this conversation or you feel that might need a little bit of extra time to think about a new way of looking at things, um, pop on and share. Make sure you subscribe so you get these fabulous speakers and our guests uh, with their particular offers. I think that's one of the, the most beautiful things. Um, make sure we get a little bit of loves because uh, that always helps a pod someone who has a podcast. Um, if you... If you want to reach out, reach out to me, you know where to find me, Carrie Benedette. I'm on all socials as well as our LinkedIn platform. Um, the reason I do this is because you are precious and your thriving matters. 
So over to you now, Liz Elizabeth. It has been a beautiful afternoon. Thank you for the conversation. Oh, thank um, you. And we should follow this up. I'm pretty sure we could have Elizabeth Williamson hashtag two. Um, <laughs> as your I would be I would be delighted. Yeah, it's been delight. I've learned a lot about you too. So I think it's a real exchange. And Very good. Uh, I love what you're doing. Uh, um, it's, it's a privilege to be able to speak with you. So um, <laughs> well done. And a privilege to share, you know, with your audience. So I hope you have a, a great rest of your day. And um, I hope what I've shared has been useful. Thank you so much. Everybody, bye for now. See you next episode. Don't forget to share us on all your platforms. Bye for now. I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters. <laughs>